0: paid coach and that would be the one and the only lincoln riley plus oklahoma's football season is not going to start the first saturday in september it will in fact start on august 29th well at least it's scheduled to assuming that the big 12 does get to play football this fall what's up everybody this is matt Hofeld along with richard cray we're on the student nation podcast again thanks so much for tuning in we um uh, we greatly appreciate Uh, Your input, so hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Find us on the web. I can't even think of our website address, heartland-sports.com. And then you can always email us, heartland-sports at yahoo. You remember those old Yahoo commercials? I do. Okay, I just was wondering. uh, I I may have just aged myself there, so I I didn't know. Um, Quick programming note, life gets in the way sometimes, so... Typically, we do like a Thursday and then a Monday podcast release. Obviously, uh, Monday came and went this week, and that didn't happen. Thursday, uh, one of us is going to be on the road all day Thursday. So this is it. This is the only podcast for the week. So we're going to jump right into this. Lincoln Riley, new deal, six-year contract. It extends his current deal by two years. He now officially becomes the highest-paid coach in the Big 12. Texas would be a fool at this point to match this contract that Lincoln Riley has. Now the, the the specifics of the contract were not disclosed, but we do know that last year Riley made around 6.38 million as the second highest paid coach in the big 12. This will make him the highest paid coach, but here there is a kicker here. It actually won't go into effect until 2021 because Riley has agreed to take a reduction in salary for 2020 based off of lost revenue and so forth due to the COVID virus. But Rich, I mean, you look at this and you think, well, yeah, it's a no brainer. He should be the highest paid coach in the big 12. He's the guy you think about it. Tech Joe, Texas fan. They they make fun of the fact that that NFL teams come calling for Lincoln Riley. Every time there's an opening, you go back to the Dallas Cowboys most recently, and Twitter blows up, other social media blows up, well, Oklahoma fans, you're going to lose your coach because the NFL wants your guy. What does that say about your program, that you're making fun of the program, who the NFL wants your, that guy, when your guy, no one wants to touch him with a six-foot pole? And Texas, I, I do believe this puts Texas in a hard spot because Texas likes to, even though they're not, they like to brand and sell themselves as the flagship program in the Big 12. Which clearly they're not. But now they got a pony up and Tom Herman's probably gonna be expecting a phone call from the athletic director, but he's not getting it and he shouldn't get it. And even if even if Texas were to win the Big Twelve this year, still shouldn't get that phone call. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, as far as Texas is concerned, there is a large contingency of people around the Big Twelve. It's not just us north of the Red River, it's a large contingency. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and broaden that scope and say not just in the Big 12, but on the national landscape that says Tom Herman is in the hot seat this season. If you think that a phone call is coming through to extend even an extension or to write up a brand new deal, a brand new contract with you, and your name is Tom Herman, it's it's just not gonna happen. It's highly unlikely. This is not Texas playing to match what Oklahoma's doing. You've got to look at Lincoln Riley. One of the youngest coaches, also this rising star, he's on a trajectory where the, you've mentioned it, the NFL has come calling and Oklahoma is doing everything within their power to say, hey whatever an NFL pro or an NFL franchise is going to offer you, our program is going to match it. We want you here and we want you here for the long haul. So I don't see that being the case with Tom Herman. There are several other coaches in the big 12 who I thought would have fallen into that same boat. A guy like Matt rule would have been one of those and Baylor that didn't happen. He he's gone. We know that they're bringing in a new coach. Matt Campbell is another one of those names that I think I, uh, Iowa State. I was just going to say ISU, but Iowa State should hang on to and attempt to match <laughs> with some of these other programs or even an NFL franchise is going to offer a guy like Matt Campbell down the road. Tom Herman just isn't in that conversation for me.
0: Right. And and you, you know, Matt rule. That's a guy that I said from day one, he's an NFL guy. His goal is to go to the NFL. Baylor was a good gig for him. He did a great job at Baylor, but you always knew NFL was, was his destination. You don't get that feeling about Matt Campbell. You don't get that feeling about Lincoln Riley. Really? Um, I think Matt Wells out of Texas tech. That's another guy who would like to see himself in the NFL at some point, but he's off to a little bit of rough start in Lubbock and he's got to turn some things around. Um, But when it comes to Lincoln Riley, Again, six point three eight million in twenty nineteen as the second highest paid coach. But I, I remember when when all the uh, coaching stuff was going on in the spring, NFL was looking for guys, and we actually had a post up at Heartland Sports talking about the amount of money that some of the NFL franchises were going to throw out there, and there weren't a lot. Like one of them was Cleveland. There there weren't a lot of programs that were going to NFL programs. A franchise, I guess, that were going to offer more money than what Lincoln Riley was already making at the University of Oklahoma. And Cleveland's an example of that. Now the Dallas Cowboys, where Jerry Jones just kind of throws his checkbook on the table and says, All right, guys, get it done, you know, spend the money. That's where you got to worry. And and there's other, there's other franchises out there along those lines that are the quote New York Yankees of the NFL, but there's not a lot of them. And so now you you look at this and you think, right, right. So you know for at least six more years. You, you, unless Lincoln Riley just says I don't want to do this anymore, he's going to be the head coach of the University of Oklahoma. Now it, it could get to a point though with Lincoln Riley where he pulls the Bob Stoops and just says I don't want to do this anymore and he walks away. But I don't think Lincoln Riley's ever going to go to the NFL, regardless of what this contract or the next contract or the next contract says. He doesn't strike me as an NFL guy. He's a guy who loves that he loves recruiting, he loves coaching, he loves grooming young quarterbacks. And where can he do that and make a ton of money? Exactly where he is. And so I don't think he's ever going to move on to, to that, quote, next level. I do want to talk about the season in itself. Oklahoma has agreed to move this thing up with, with Missouri State to August 29th. You and I have already talked about this on the podcast. And so there's really not a need to rehash all of it other than to say, I still think it's a great idea.
1: You're not the only one who has that opinion as evidenced by the committee that is petitioning the NCAA on behalf of every single college team in the country. I know that you're aware Oklahoma's moved theirs up, but apparently it was such a good idea that this committee is looking for that blanket statement for any other university, for any other program that is willing to come together with another program to move that schedule ahead. We've talked about the amount of time, the bi-weeks that it adds into the schedule. We've talked about any preparations up front that were made that didn't go quite as expected. There's an opportunity to reevaluate and to potentially fix those. All in in the name of safety. So great idea. It's something that I think is going to sweep across the nation. And we're not going to see Oklahoma and Missouri State as the only two teams playing in August this season.
0: No. And it just makes sense because of the amount of time, again, if you're the university of Oklahoma, the amount of time that you have to kind of catch your breath, see what you need to change. So you play Missouri state, you got a week off, you play Tennessee, you got a week off, you play army. And so you, you really have five weeks to figure everything out before you start conference play. And it it's, it's a no brainer. If you ask me and kudos to the big 12. And again, it just continues to show Oklahoma's what well, you said, if you' got a committee petitioning for other schools, Oklahoma is leading the way in this. This isn't something that's just they're flying by the seat of their pants. they're not they're not shooting from the hip, so to speak. Um, they are one hundred percent spot on with this. and you you got you gotta love what you're seeing out of the responsibility that they're taking, not only to provide the product of football on the field this fall, but to provide a good product of football, and most importantly, a safe product to the players and the coaches. Now, the fans, that's still a wash. That's still, uh, we said last week on the podcast that there's no way it's going to be full capacity, at least to start the season. Zero chance, full capacity to start the season. But now you got to start thinking about, you know, where is it? And here, and here's another thing, Rich, that we got to talk about is August is next week, right? Mm-hmm. So that means next week is game month. That means next week we're probably going to learn who the starting quarterback is. I'm I'm just guessing sometime next week ish because Lincoln Riley usually likes to make that announcement about a month out from the season. But we've always talked about, you know, is this a um, is this a ploy to keep guys enrolled because once classes start, you can't transfer. So is he trying, you know, is is he trying to keep Austin Kendall from transferring, you know, going back? Or is he trying to keep Tanner Mordecai from transferring, looking at this year? Well, can you really do that and fully prepare? Now, you can. You can wait until August 28th if you want to because it's Missouri State, right? And you and I can go out there and hand off the ball to Kennedy Brooks if, if if that's what's needed. It's Missouri State. So both quarterbacks are going to play against Missouri State anyway, but then you got a week off to prepare for Tennessee. So that's, that really gives you three weeks. If, if you go August 28th, you really have three weeks to get your, your starting quarterback ready for Tennessee. I think that's enough time. But the question is, is, is he going to wait that late to make the announcement, or do you think the announcement will come a month out, as it usually does?
1: I, I really don't know. In fact, I hadn't even thought about that until you brought that up in this moment. And historically we know kind of a window as you've mentioned, as you've alluded to, I just, I don't know that I'm on board with it at this point in time. I say probably two weeks out instead of a full month out that we do know that the starting quarterback by name, even though a majority of the people who listen to this podcast, who are commenting on Message boards who are voicing their opinions on social media and elsewhere, everyone believes it's it's going to be Rattler on day one, and there's no reason for anyone to think otherwise. But when he's, I he's the preseason
0: Big Twelve newcomer of the year, right? When I, off for offense, so it's, I mean, yeah, everyone believes it's going to be Rattler.
1: When I think of moving the season one week ahead. This may go contrary to what I've said, because I know previously, at least I felt like I said that I believe these programs could keep that number at zero cases, confirmed cases. That may be something that does happen. But I also know when it comes to the preparations, moving that a week ahead and then encouraging or a group, a committee, encouraging other programs across the country to follow suit. It's all in in this mindset of saying, we know that there will be positive cases and everyone's talking about the MLB. Everyone's talking about the Marlins at the current point in time, because they've had 17 members of the organization who tested positive after week one. Mm -hmm. If people aren't willing to live in that bubble, it is a completely different story, Matt. And you and I have talked about that previously, but when it comes to college football, it's, it's all in preparation of saying we will have positive tests What are we going to do when we do have that positive test? And now they've got that two weeks in order to do more testing as well as for anyone to develop symptoms, but also to get treatment and get someone back onto the field, hopefully.
0: Right, right. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, Oklahoma, Texas in the Cotton Bowl as well as breaking down Big 12 linebackers, ranking them from worst to first. And I'm going to pull out some... um, just from shoot, I said shooting from the hit earlier. I'm going to pull out some true or false this week because it's it's my turn to ask you the questions. Well, I'm always a fan of when news breaks, why we're actually recording a podcast. Rich, you alluded to this in the first segment, and that is actually um, the, the NCAA has approved that college football teams can begin their seasons on August 29th. That week will be known as week zero of the college football season. Um, And so there you go. It's all done Uh, campaigns. that's actually Labor Day weekend, a weekend. And uh, Oklahoma had leading the front on that. And uh, conference, and this is interesting to me because it says conferences such as the big 10 PAC 12 and big East move to conference only slates for football and fall sports. It's unknown if those leagues will shift their schedules to commence their play in late August. So there's just this big black hole there for those three conferences, because you're going to have three of the five power five conferences playing football. And I mean, it's, it's a no brainer. You, you don't not do it. Now, if you know, you can, you go do it. And so you're in like, Iowa State, for example, they reached out. They, they lost the Iowa uh, series because of the Big Ten pulling out of non conference games. So they reached out to the MAC and they picked up, I think, Ball State. So that's again, you look at doing August 29th. If, if you can do it, it makes it just, we're beating a dead horse here, but you can just get so much ahead of the curve with your protocols that if you do have players who test positive after that first game, you've got two weeks to get them ready to go play again. And so, That's just something that's – I love to see that happen. I love to see forward thinking, and that's exactly what we're getting out of the college – I mean, NCAA doesn't do a lot right in in my mind, but they did it right here. Um, Let's go to OU Texas in the Cotton Bowl. I still don't understand how this is a conversation because we don't know if there's going to be fans in Norman – we don't know if there's going to be fans in Austin. We don't know if there's going to be fans at the Cotton Bowl when Oklahoma plays Texas. What we do know is that there won't be a fair. And I feel like we're just, everyone's just like, and I know why, I know why Texas, I, I, I can tell you why Texas is pushing to move this to home and home. It's a no-brainer because you could play in Norman. I mean, you're going to play, if it goes home and home, Texas is going to come to Norman, and they're going to play that game in Norman. But what might happen is, They're going to play that game in Norman in an empty stadium with no fans. Well, that means 2021 Oklahoma's going to Texas and there will be fans there. We talked about this. I think this is one of your true or false questions to me last week. So it just doesn't make sense to do that. If you're Oklahoma, that is a last ditch effort to save this game. But why, why are we talking about this in as much as if you don't have the fair that that where they they don't the Cotton Bowl is not available. That's not the case. Games are played at the Cotton Bowl throughout the year, whether the fair's there or not. In fact, it's easier to park <laughs> when the fair's not there. And so, if we don't know fans are going to be in Norman, and we don't know the fans, we do know that if if they, we do know for sure if they have fans in Austin, fifty percent capacity. But we don't know if you can have fifty percent capacity in Austin. Why can't you have fifty percent capacity at the Cotton Bowl?
1: This is just my take, my opinion. Um, What we do know at this point is that there's a contract for the Red River rivalry to take place in the Cotton Bowl. We've seen what's happened when entire conferences, not just individual programs, but entire conferences, attempt to shift their schedule without considering those contracts that are currently in place. So what we know, Matt, is that The athletic directors at Texas as well as at Oklahoma are planning to play a game in the Cotton Bowl fans aside the conversation around fans doesn't matter if there's a contract in place. It's the location and I honestly believe that again, this is just my take this is where I'm going with this. I honestly believe that Oklahoma and Texas would move the game to Jerry World. They would move that from the Cotton Bowl to AT&T Stadium before they moved it to a home-and-home. Home. A home-and-home home seems like a last-ditch effort. It seems like the last thing on the list that these teams want to do. Why is that? It's because of the unique environment that is created when you divide a stadium with half fans from Texas and half fans from from the University of Oklahoma or around those programs. Needless to say, you could recreate that at any neutral site. doesn't matter if it's a high school stadium or if it's a professional stadium, you can create that environment. Now, when you move it to a home and home, you lose that and you lose a lot of the allure, in my opinion, of what makes this rivalry of what makes this game
0: specifically so special. Well, and, 100% agree with what you're saying there. But I also want to say this about moving it to Texas Stadium from the Cotton Bowl. Where it makes sense there as well is the capacity is greater at Texas Stadium. And so if you're only going 50% capacity, you can get more fans in. It's not a whole lot more as far as capacity, but it is a greater capacity. It's a newer facility. It's a facility that the Big 12 already uses for the conference championship game. And so you can get more people there. So why not do that? That, that? That's just a no brain. Again, I think if I'm Joe Castiglione, I'm fighting tooth and nail not to have this thing move to a home and home series for 2020 and 2021 because you're just asking to walk into a hornet's nest in 2021. You're making a face at me. Did you look no, at the
1: capacities? I did look at capacity, but I wasn't even going to mention it because it, it's not a huge deal. That's why I said it's not a big difference, but is there a difference at all? Yeah, the Cotton Bowl seats way more people. Oh, does it really? Yeah, about 12,000 more. Okay,
0: well, you leave it in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, <laughs> okay, my bad. I just, I've been to TNT
1: is 80,000. I've Texas yeah. State
0: is only 80,000.
1: You've got to remember, they, they expanded the capacity of the Cotton Bowl. I have not been to the Cotton Bowl since they've expanded the capacity. It's been quite some I think the the last time I went was right around twenty twelve. 2013, maybe even 2014, somewhere in that range. Um, So it's been quite some time since I've been there, but the number at the Cotton Bowl is 92,100 people, uh-huh. whereas AT&T Stadium, where the Dallas Cowboys play, is 80,000 even. Now, one thing that we're not accounting Are you for, sure Matt. Because I,
0: I swore that was 100,000.
1: One thing we're not accounting for is the standing room only tickets that they sell. The capacity that they will list is the number of seats available, not standing room. So could you potentially pack more people in? Yes. Could you do that given the current restrictions no, yeah. and social distancing? No, you do have to work within that 80,000 number.
0: That's, that's, an, I, again, I've, I was at the Big 12 championship. I've, I went to the Dallas Cowboys, watched the Miami Dolphins, all that last I, year. That just blows my mind. I
1: also lied. 2008 was when they did the renovations, right? Sure. Okay, so I've been there since the
0: renovations have been done. I just didn't pay attention. Apparently that's just, that's just nuts. I I really thought, um, I really thought it was more than that. Okay. We're going to jump into some true or false. All right. So here we go. These, uh, these questions are very much off the cuff and, um, they're mostly softballs. There might be one, uh, one fastball or curve or whatever you would have. Pro- what What do you think you would have problems hitting if you were a baseball player? Curve, fastball, slider. I mean, they don't—they
1: don't make movies called Trouble with a Curve because it's easy to hit, right?
0: So you're saying the curve?
1: The Definitely. Curve? Okay. Because so, here's the thing: is I know if that ball looks like it's going to hit you in the head, I'm—I'm I'm in the dirt.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. N- so, say, so there, the there may be one curveball here. All right. Here we go. Number one. Uh, true or false? Tristan Lee will end up committing to the University of Oklahoma as a mm-hmm. part of the 2021 class. Caleb Williams' buddy. i
1: that that's a good question in all honesty, because we've talked about the talent that he is. We've also talked about him combining with the powers of Bryce Foster would mean that this would be a a pretty dominant offensive line for at least the time that they were here, but it would also solidify Oklahoma as not only the best in the business, but the best sustained along the offensive line in the business. I'm going to go ahead and say that that one is true. I believe that the Caleb Williams connection has a lot to do with his commitment. It's um, why he's resisted committing anywhere else at this point in time, still trying to feel some things out, still trying to build those relationships before ultimately, like I said, committing to the University of Oklahoma.
0: All right, number two, Oklahoma was a very young team in 2019, looking at both sides of the ball, particularly on the offensive line, and then some of the skill position players. That's a little bit different this year as those guys become not only more experienced veteran players, but also draft eligible. I'm setting the over under at two. And then I'm going to say Oklahoma will be over two players selected in the first round of next spring's NFL draft. The over under is at two. I'm saying Oklahoma will be over in the fir- in first round draft selections.
1: And you're asking me true or false. It will false. be over in first round. I'm going to have to go with false. Okay. You want a reason? now? Yeah, huh? I would like to. Here's know. the thing is, is I do believe that I
0: got Creed Humphrey right there. Yeah. That's
1: half of it. I believe Creed Humphrey is very much so deserving. What we've seen out of him at center on the offensive line is very deserving of consideration for a first round draft pick. I do get slightly concerned because of the position that he plays. There's a premium that's put especially right now, a premium that's put on protecting the blind side Mm -hmm. of these quarterbacks. Unfortunately, that's not the center position. And there's also a premium that's being put on defensive linemen and more specifically defensive ends or the guys who can be more of a flex position, drop back into more of a linebacker role, but line up as a stand up defensive and needless to say Creed Humphrey doesn't fill those roles. I do believe he's a first-round draft pick. I think he's that kind of a talent. But when I when I scan the field, when I survey the field and I look for that that next guy, the only option that I could really think of is a guy who is is going to be suspended and Ronnie mm-hmm. Perkins. The talent's there, but I think the suspension hurts him, pulls him out of the first round, which then leaves me to a third option in Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks, a great talent, but there's going to be plenty of running backs, specifically one Chuba Hubbard that people are going to eye and compare him to all season long. And I don't know that despite this being what we're, we've labeled as a breakout year for Kennedy Brooks, despite it being that, I think the year that Chuba Hubbard has has had last season, combined with what many expect him to do this season, lands him as a first round and maybe one other running back. I, I just don't know where that second one's coming from, Matt. Okay, so you're saying over, so you're saying it's going to be three. Yeah, I,
0: I think there's there's a, there's one important one that you left out. Okay, because I do think Ronnie Perkins, even though he's going to face a suspension, I said that would hurt him on all conference, all American status. I don't know that that necessarily hurts him on draft status. If, if he, there's
1: not enough film for him, if he that's where go, we get in trouble. Right,
0: but if he can go blow it up at the combine, assuming he comes out early, okay. Uh, and then you mentioned Candy Brooks. I think we were agreed that Creed Humphrey is a first round draft pick. I think the guy that you left out, the guy that would have to leave early but certainly in my mind would be a first round draft pick would be Adrian Ely. I think he, I think that gives Oklahoma legitimately four candidates. If Mm Ely comes out, if Perkins comes out, I think Creed Humphrey's done after this year. I think Kennedy Brooks clearly is done after this year. So there's two, but then between Ronnie Perkins and Adrian Mm Ely, if they both come out, I think you have a legitimate case to make three first round. It is
1: interesting that you mentioned Adrian Ely. I know that he's on some of the preseason watch list. He's on the preseason big 12 um, first team all-conference as well. But I've been touting a, a different name, which is Marquise Hayes mm-hmm. on this offensive line as really that sleeper candidate for a lot of those roles, for a lot of the awards, for a lot of the watch list that we've seen Ely on. And that's no slight to Ely.
0: Right. Okay, so here we go. The, the next one, uh, we're, and we're going to come back to offensive line, by the way, here in just a minute. Um, the, Here's my next one. True or false, Lincoln Riley will play both quarterbacks against Missouri State and then officially name a starter in the week off before Tennessee.
1: No false. I do believe that both quarterbacks play. I don't think that Tanner Mordecai, assuming that Spencer Rattler is the starter. I don't think Tanner Mordecai gets a uh, ex- extremely significant amount of playing time in the first half. I do think we see him come on midway through the third quarter. Like we've seen in past years with guys who are more experienced than a Spencer Rattler, but you have to look at developing that chemistry being in an, in-game situation, adjusting to the speed of the game, but at the same time, gaining control of this offense and showing that you are the guy no matter what. What happens if you throw that first interception? We all want to know how these quarterbacks are going to respond. Spencer Rattler taking the field for the first time in a starting role, in my opinion, will have earned that. He will have been tabbed the starter before we get to Missouri State. If that's two weeks like we talked about earlier, or if that's a full month, I don't know, but I do believe that he will be to have the starter. They, they won't wait for Tennessee to do that.
0: Okay, so here we go. Um, number four, Oklahoma currently riding a 17-game home winning streak going into the 2020 season. When you look at the slate of home games, Missouri State, Tennessee, Baylor, and then you got you know, you know got some uh, Texas in the Cotton Bowl. That's technically a home game. Oklahoma State, Bedlam and Norman this year. Kansas State, the revenge match, and the Kansas Jayhawks. That streak continues throughout the entirety of the 2020 season.
1: True. There are some scares on the schedule, specifically Oklahoma state. Everyone is going to be talking about Spencer Sanders by the end of the season. Everyone's already talking about Tylan Wallace as well as Chuba Hubbard. In fact, that's the second time I've mentioned him on this podcast. You look at the offensive firepower that exists at Oklahoma State, and you know that it's going to be fireworks bedlam in Norman as these two teams collide. Someone's looking to dethrone Oklahoma, and I know in years past, there has been just a, a blip that has happened. The unexpected. I didn't expect the Army game to be so close. Oklahoma comes out with a win. Kyler Murray, the quarterback that season. There was Kansas State who rolled in a few years before that. Rolled in, was able to upset Oklahoma. You look at Ohio State. You look at Notre Dame. All of these teams have rolled into Norman and, and done what not many people expected them to do. I think Ohio State was the exception to that, but They've done what not many people have expected them to do. Oklahoma, regardless of the talent that's on the field, seems to have one hurdle that they just, it's its a puzzle that they can't solve. I don't know who that is going to be this year. I don't know if that's even going to happen this year. I'm betting that it doesn't, given the dominance that Oklahoma has showcased throughout these past couple of seasons, more specifically under Lincoln Riley. And I think <laughs> so far, he's had every answer <laughs> to every riddle that's been thrown at him. I'm hoping that
0: continues. All right, bonus points here. Can you name Oklahoma's last home loss? Um, no. I'll 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 give you. Let's see how many hints it takes. Baker Mayfield was the quarterback.
1: Okay, so man, home loss.
0: Baker Mayfield lost to Iowa State. Right there, you go. Two thousand and seventeen. Um. Okay. Last true or false question is this. Um. Oklahoma has five. Returning offensive linemen with starting experience from last season. Now the exception there is R.J. Proctor, who's gone to the NFL, but he was not a full-time starter. Five returning starting on the uh, starters on the offensive line. A new starter will join that group and kick one of these five out of the rotation in 2021 mean 2020.
1: False. Okay. False, and and here's the reason. For me, at least, when we look at what Bill Bedenbaugh has done, he's been grooming these guys for quite some time. Oklahoma has not turned to the transfer market very often. RJ Proctor was a little bit of an anomaly along the offensive line. They have not turned to the transfer market, which says to me that the qualities, the discipline, as well as the um, just basic things such as footwork that these offensive line have, dis- offensive line men collectively have displayed all throughout their, their careers at the University of Oklahoma, as well as throughout the playing time that they've been granted, says that they will be the starters for the duration of the season, barring any type of an injury. That, that's the only thing
0: I could see that would unseat someone. I'm going to agree with you, but I'm also going to say keep an eye on Stacey Wilkins and watch him and Eric Swinson at the right tackle position. Excuse me, left tackle position. Just something worth noting. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But I think Stacy Wilkins is going to be a guy who ultimately is going to be really difficult to keep him off the field. That's 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 it for uh, true or false and uh, we're going to we're going to break down Big 12 linebackers uh going from worst to first. Okay, well we are getting to the end of our position rankings and really um going from worst to first um has been kind of fun. But we've either I, I noticed that we've we've either been like spot on, or we've been completely in opposite directions. And when we get to the linebackers, I, I feel like there's potential there for that to be because I think the linebacker unit. When you look at the the linebackers in the Big Twelve, it's there's some good returning starters off of some units that weren't bad last year as it is. So to me. When you break down this position, this was the most difficult of all the positions we've done to this point. From from one to ten, are you and I doing worse? The first ten to one. That was my experience. I, I don't know. How, did you find something similar to that, or yeah, was it pretty easy for you?
1: Um, for the linebackers specifically, not. Uh, it was not easy. I, I think there's a lot of subjectivity to this instead of objectivity. When you're looking at the stats, you're looking at the names, you're looking at what's coming back. You're looking at what's leaving. You're looking at the defense as a whole as well. There, There's a lot to consider when it comes to ranking, regardless of what position we're looking at. And I think there are some that are a little easier, <laughs> like the running back or the quarterback position to really one to 10, say we're at least in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. But I I mean, when it came to the defensive line, when it's coming to linebackers, I expect us to be all over the place once again.
0: Well, well, let's jump into this. Um, I've not looked at your rankings. You've not looked at mine. So let's see. Here we are, starting with number 10. I've got the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, me too. All right. I mean, that it, works it, perfectly, huh? Because, look, I mean, there's, there's talent there. Gavin Potter, they're in the middle. Um, but um, – well, sorry, Kyron Johnson's the guy in the middle. Gavin Parter's the other guy who's going to – but they, they run a 3-4 scheme, so they're, they've got one whole half of their linebacker core that's they're replacing in 2020. So
1: Les See, Miles, my,
0: Les miles. I think I, – I keep saying this every time we get to Kansas. Les Miles is a good coach, but he just is, is in the empty cupboard right now.
1: I thought Drew Prox was the – the best defensive player that Kansas was going to field all season long, right up until the injury four games into the season, he's been granted that sixth year of eligibility. So you're looking at a little bit of a boost in the linebacker, but you do have to ask the question when it comes to injuries, wh- how, how is that going to affect a guy like prox how mm. is that going to affect these other players because they have to be a cohesive unit they have to know their assignments and if one piece of that puzzle doesn't know what they're doing we've seen as oklahoma sooner fans we've seen what confusion on the field can do and it usually breaks down somewhere in the middle or towards the front
0: yeah well we're one for one so far so who do you have at number nine
1: yeah number nine for me was the west virginia mountaineers wow where do you have them
0: Well, you'll find out. Okay. Not Not number nine, though.
1: Not number nine. Ten was the Kansas Jayhawks for me. West Virginia Mountaineers coming in at number nine. And a large reason that I've got West Virginia at number nine is the injury. They were forced to play some younger players in an attempt not just to get them experience, but more so because they had no other options to rely on. We look at Jared Bartlett, who played as a freshman, got that valuable experience towards the end of the year. West Virginia bringing in some transfers and a big name transfer, in my opinion, in Vidarius Cowan from Alabama. He's also coming off of an injury and he has to learn a new system in a condensed offseason. I just don't see a ton of experience that hasn't suffered an injury. And I don't see a ton of experience in this specific system. West Virginia playing an odd defense. You got to remember that. There's not a ton of experience. I don't see the depth there. I do have them at number nine, and you're you're just giving me all kinds of looks, which says just, I could be completely wrong. No, it
0: just goes to what we said to, to start this that we're the we're all over the place. Number nine, I've got the Baylor Bears, and you've got you've got an all conference selection there in Terrell Bernard, but he's the lone returning starter in that linebacker core, and so you've got a, You've got a lot of talent there but yeah, that's all you've got there in one position um, amongst that second layer of your defense. So I've got Baylor at number nine and I've got Kansas state at number eight. You got, you know, you got,
1: uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, this is funny right now. Yeah. You
0: got Elijah we Sullivan. we are all over the place. Um, he's returning there in the middle. Uh, but look, Cody Fletcher is going to have to step up because Daquan Patton has gone. He graduated. So you got, again, one returning starter and Elijah Sullivan, and then you just got question marks. So I've got, you know, I've got Kansas State there in the number eight spot.
1: Man, Matt, I'm I don't even know what to think right now. I'm trying to look up something because I, I hope that I haven't said this wrong, but I'll go ahead and give you my next in line while we're waiting for that to pull up at, at number eight for me. I put the the Texas Tech Red Raiders, another team relying heavily on transfers, much like a West Virginia. When I begin to look at these rankings, Matt, I know that the, <laughs> we're going to disagree pretty significantly here, but I'm looking at the condensed offseason as mm-hmm. well and saying, can, that's, these, that's a good point. can these guys really progress to the level that, that we know that they can given the short amount of time that they've had to actually, one, be with the team, two, be on campus, and three, work with the coaching staff. How, how limited have these practices been? I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is Texas Tech adds in Krishan Merriweather, a guy who's got a lot of speed, can move sideline to sideline. I think he's the key to this this line crew because he's going to be able to um, cover up any of the weaknesses, cover up any of the mistakes because of the speed that he possesses. But really, the most experienced guy on the roster is Rico Jeffers, mm-hmm. the 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 guy who has the most experience in this Red Raiders off or excuse me defense and is going to be relied on to limit all the big plays that Texas Tech gave up last year. There was a little bit of a position carousel that happened for them, which I think led to a, a lot of the the big plays that they did give up. Is bringing on a Merryweather going to help that? I, I don't know, given the condensed offseason. <laughs>
0: all right, so give me your number
1: seven. No, number seven, I did put the TCU horn Frogs there. I'm waiting for your reaction, and it's a good one. Woohoo. TCU for me um, – Man, they had Garrett Wallow who anchored the defense from that position, but they're making some significant changes. I think it puts a lot of pressure on this linebacking crew, knowing that some of the guys who played at linebacker are being moved back to a natural position. And we know that Gary Patterson, I'll say this and I'll continue to say this about him is he recruits athletes and then decides on their position once they've arrived on campus and he can do some more one-on-one evaluation with them. It's why he's been so successful with taking some of these guys who may not have had the same name recognition that other players at other programs within the Big Twelve have had and has still ha- found success on the defensive side of the ball. I do expect him to be able to do that again, but I don't know who those names are going to be at this point in time, which is is a big cause for concern. So I do have them at number seven for that reason.
0: Yeah, I've got TCU at number seven as well. You mentioned Garrett Wallow, um, and he's one of returning, uh, one of two returning starters. The Frogs run a five-two defensive front, and so they they've got guys there. But this was a this was a unit that underperformed in 2019 wallow is a preseason all conference selection, but whoever lines up next to him has to be strong, be it same as last year, be it a new guy. Also what's their, their, their front line going to do that. Those, those five guys that have the hand in the dirt, so to speak. Um, I, I am a fan of Gary Patterson. I think he's a, he's a, a tremendous defensive minded coach. I feel like I say that every time we record a podcast and we talk about TCU, but I, I just, I was underwhelmed by the linebackers last year, and I need to see more. Even though you've got an All Conference, a preseason All Conference selection back there, number six, I've got Texas Tech, and um, like you, you talked, you already talked about Rico Jeffers. Uh, the Red Raiders lost Jordan Brooks to the NFL last season. Um, he was probably their best overall defender, but Rico Jeffers is isn't like he's not just like you know, chopped liver out there. He's a good, he's going to have to take that leap to become that who the, the kind of guy that Brooks was on that defense, kind of being the leader from that linebacker position. But they also have Tyreek Matthews and Xavier Benson, who had strong freshman campaigns in 2019. And so that's why I've got the red Raiders up a little bit higher um, than what you have them is because it's not just, it's not just Rico Jeffers by himself. He's got some guys out there that have, First year experience, and then they're going to go into that second year experience. And so I expect Texas Tech to be just a little bit better at the linebacking core this year than they were in 2019. So that rounds out my top five. Who do you have at number six? we,
1: We are going to have some similarities here. The, the biggest question mark is where do you have West Virginia? Because they have not been named in your bottom five, but the rest for us are going to be the same as I do have the Baylor Bears number six. You've already mentioned Terrell Bar- Bernard One of the better players on this defense, but that was playing behind an All-American defensive lineman. I'm curious to know how successful he can be knowing the role that they want to use him in. I've bumped Baylor ahead of some of these other teams because of the physicality that I do still believe is instilled in them by Matt Rule, despite a coaching overhaul happening in Waco knowing that they're going to play with a tenacity, knowing that specifically Bernard still is going to, going to set the tone physically for this team. I, I think they've got a shot to do some things. They've got to remain optimistic in turnovers. And Bernard secured three fumble recoveries, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken there. So we look at the overall product for, for Baylor. We mentioned one name. I get it, Matt. But because of that physicality, I, I've got to put them a, ahead of the Texas Techs and the West Virginias of my group.
0: Okay, so we're going to jump into our top five, but to round out, just kind of remind bottom five. For me, I had uh, number 10 was Kansas, number nine, Baylor, number eight, Kansas State, number seven, TCU, and uh, Texas Tech was my number six.
1: 10 for me was the Kansas Jayhawks. I had West Virginia at number nine, followed by Texas Tech at number eight, the TCU Horned Frogs at seven, and the Baylor Bears at six.
0: All right, so here we go. Let's jump into the top five. For me, number five is the Iowa State Cyclones, Two of three returning starters from last year's team. And I love Mike Rose. He was a freshman All-American in 2018. And I think, you know, from sophomore to junior year is when you're supposed to make that biggest leap. So 2018, freshman All-American, he was good last year as a sophomore. This year, it should be that big leap for him. And I think he might be one of the top names we talk about in the Big 12. As we, as you know, he hit late October going into November. He's a name that everyone's talking about for uh, postseason accolades.
1: You want to give us four as well? No, you can give me five five, five and four. Five for me. This was going to be the big surprise, the big difference for us so far. Number five, and I struggled with this one. I have the Kansas State Wildcats. Now, I will tell you originally, I had them at number eight. When you sat down and we were getting ready to record this podcast – I shifted them. And it's largely because I do believe they may be one of the deepest groups position units, not only on the team, but in the conference in terms of experience. There's not a lot of question marks. There's not a lot of holes for Kansas State to fill at a linebacker. What they do have right now is a defense that surrendered 21.4 points last season, which was second best in the conference. And as I'm looking at Kansas, uh, yeah, Kansas State, Justin Hughes is, is that guy that they're going to lean on not a lot of holes depth. There's experience that they're going to put onto the field. Given the success that they had last year, I have to buy in and it's why I've bumped them up to number five, which is going to lead me to number four, which is the Texas longhorns last year. Undoubtedly, unquestionably, Joseph Osai was one of the best defenders in the conference, not just on the Texas Longhorns. However, they're switching their defensive scheme, which I think is going to put him up on the defensive line as a stand-up defensive end, removing him from the linebacker conversation. Still, I do believe there's a lot of talent. I believe there's a lot of bigger names that are on this roster specifically at the linebacker position it's it's a a team that surrendered 139 yards per game on the ground last season which was third in the league with the experience the depth health all things considered there's i do believe there's some things that the longhorns have to overcome but there's no reason for me to believe that they won't overcome that given the talent on the roster
0: all right number four i've got the oklahoma state cowboys they've got a um like they they've got uh, returning starters uh, at the linebacker position, and they they kind of run a, a flex crazy. Sometimes there's two, sometimes there's three, based on what they do with their defensive end. But there's but look, there's a guy out there, Malcolm Rodriguez. Who just was phenomenal last year for Oklahoma State, and then there's—I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Amen. Oh, you know, I—I'm—I'm so glad I don't do uh, like Toby Rowland's job, play-by-play, to have to call these names out. And I know you. I know your personality. You're going to try to pronounce that name whenever you bring Oklahoma State up. But why were you watching my lips? I'm just going to say the guy's name is Amen, and everyone knows who we're talking about because he was a force as well. Those are two studs that Oklahoma State's returning at the linebacker position. And I uh, Oklahoma State's got to get better defensively. They have to. And in order to make that jump in 2020, this is where it's going to happen. It's not going to happen off their defensive line. It's going to be have to be fed by their linebackers. And they've got the two guys to make it happen, in my opinion. So I've got Oklahoma State number four. Number three, I've got the Texas Longhorns. I've got them just up uh, one spot uh, from where you do. You, you talk about uh, Joseph Asai, but there's, there's, there's a trio of linebackers that are coming back for Texas in 2020. And this is like the bright spot right now for this Texas defense is the linebacker core. The question mark, the the reason I don't have them at number two um, is because I don't know what they're going to do defensively. I don't know what that philosophy is going to look like. I don't know what that shift is going to do personnel wise. I don't know what it's going to do schematically. And I don't know how that's going to affect production, but I do know that the, just by the guys that they're going to throw out there, that they've got top five, talent in the conference at the linebacker position.
1: Number three for me is the Oklahoma Sooners. I know that you've got them in the top two. I don't know where you have them, but so much focus was placed on Kenneth Murray and rightfully so. A kid who comes in and does exactly what he set out to do, which was to be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the position, we know that that ended up being linebacker for him. And when you look at Kenneth Murray, the only thing you see is this glaring hole. And it's easy to forget about the guys that played next to him. Deshaun White is a guy that people are beginning to take recognition of. Matt, you wrote an article saying he's being pulled out of the shadows and being placed on these watch lists. We know that he's got experience. We know that he's got know how. We know that Oklahoma also has speed at the position in order to. To, as I have mentioned with a previous program, to shore up or to cover any mistakes that some of these other players might make. Nick Benito, a pass rusher, a guy who can come off the edge from that linebacker position, mm-hmm. is extremely vital to what Oklahoma has done over the past years. But let's not forget about Caleb Kelly, a guy who's right. shown a lot of speed. If he's 100% healthy, I like where Oklahoma's at. I like just the years of experience that they have in this system. Nick Benito being the youngest of that trio that I've mentioned, but you like the position that Oklahoma is in moving forward. And number 2, I've got Iowa State and I really struggled yeah. not to put them at the number 1 slot. You you've probably figured out who's my number 1 at this point. Look, under Matt Campbell, the defense at Iowa State has ranked in the in the top 3 of the conference over the past at least three seasons now they're losing their leading tackler Marcel Spears but there's a trio a cast of backers that are ready to accept that challenge and to step into that 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 void Mike Rose Orion Vance and Jake Hummel will provide plenty of stats in this defense they'll provide plenty of tackles who's going to play behind them I don't even need to know those names because these three are really going to be the anchor, the heartbeat, and the heart and soul of this defense. So I'm putting a lot of trust in them. I've got them at number two, but I don't believe they're the best in the conference. Sorry about you.
0: No, I mean, like Mike Rhodes, I'm huge. I'm high on Mike Rose. I already talked about him. I just I just don't have the confidence that you have in the guys that are, are lining up next to Mike Rose. I've got West Virginia at number two. Uh, on my linebacker rating rankings. <laughs> and look, I, I look and, at, and I've
1: got him at number nine. I,
0: I well, look, I, I think we're taking the same point of view. Uh, we're taking the same. We're looking at the same thing from two different angles. What I mean by this is that they were, they were young at the linebacker position last year. But here, here's the truth: If Neil Brown's going to really take a step forward in this rebuild that he's trying to do at West Virginia, he's going to have to do it on the defensive side of the ball because he has a great front seven between the, what he's got with the defensive line and what he's got with the linebackers. There is a ton of talent there. We may we may see the best West Virginia defense that we've seen since the Mountaineers joined the Big 12. The problem is, are they going to be able to catch up offensively where they're so far behind? because Dana Holgerson for so long neglected the defense and this catered to the offense where Neil Brown comes in. And once all those offensive guys left, Neil Brown was kind of left with an empty offensive cupboard and he started building defense he's going to have to try to do like the old Bill Snyder system of just wearing you down defensively, bringing that physicality and then just methodically playing offense to try to exploit something. And he's got the guy in Dylan Tonkery that he was the lone upperclassman in this group of linebackers last year. He'll be the leader this year, but the hope is that all these youngsters that played in 2019 take a step forward in improvement uh, in 2020 He's got, he's got a ton of returning experience at the linebacker position. And to me, when you look at that front, that front, you know, the front defensive line that makes this a dangerous linebacking core for West Virginia. In my opinion, I get it. You don't, you don't see that. (laughs) And maybe I'm way off. So this is one of those things where it's all
1: injury based for me.
0: Well, like this is one of those things. If you're listening to the podcast, this is where we need to hear from you. Rich has West Virginia. Number nine, I got West Virginia at number two, hit us up sports heartland on Twitter. Let us know where would you put the Mountaineers? So that brings me to number one. And I I tried not to put this team there at number one, Mm -hmm. but the truth is Oklahoma lost the best linebacker that the big 12 had to offer in 2019. But as a, as a group, these guys could get better. Because you look at Caleb Kelly, you've already talked about the three guys I want to talk about. You look at Caleb Kelly returning and what he has as a senior now with the experience, what he can do. Caleb Kelly's in a better position to be a mentor to Deshaun White and Nick Bonito than even uh, Kenneth Murray was. Because Caleb Kelly's been around longer and Caleb Kelly has faced more adversity, and so I think when you add Caleb Kelly, he's not a he's not going to be a Kenneth Murray type guy. But how much better is Deshaun White going to be in 2020? How much better is Nick Benito going to be in 2020? And then you add a veteran like Caleb Kelly in with that group, I think that makes this a, Brian Odom is going to have fun coaching linebackers at the University of Oklahoma this year because of those three guys. And I tried not to make it this way. I tried to talk myself out of making this a non-homer pick and, and throwing some, I even teetered around with putting West Virginia at number one, just so I wouldn't be the Oklahoma homer uh, with the Sooners at number one here, the but, the
1: Oklahoma.
0: But Oklahoma. <laughs> but I've got Oklahoma I'm totally number decent. one in the Big Twelve when, it look, when you talk about linebackers. And
1: I've got another program inside the state of Oklahoma at number one instead. The Oklahoma State Cowboys. A bedlam on the range. The, the Oklahoma State Cowboys are the only program in the conference to have two Buttkiss Kiss Award watch list members. You thought I said butt kiss? <laughs> you did say butt kiss. I did. You're right. <laughs> When I look at the number of tackles that the two names you've already given us,
0: yeah, what are the Rodriguez, names? Rodriguez. Oh, you want me and, to try the last name? Yeah.
1: Ogbong Is that going to work for you? That works for me. So we have two members of the same linebacking unit that amassed over 100 tackles. I don't know if you've you've looked at the numbers, but there were only six players in the conference that eclipsed 100 tackles, and two of them played for Oklahoma State. I don't know what that says about the defensive line. I don't know what that says about the, the linebackers in terms of the work that they were having to put in. But we see two players... Who, in my opinion, are absolute stars at that program in that defense. We know that this is a defense that has continuously progressed and taken that next step forward under Jim Knowles. Having these two names on that roster in the middle of this defense are certainly going to help pretty significantly. They combined for 22 and a half tackles for loss, the experience, the talent edge to edge here at at, for the line or in the linebacking crew for Oklahoma state is unrivaled in my opinion. And it's, it's why they're deserving of that number one spot in the conference rankings.
0: All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us on this week's episode. Wait, Let let me
1: say this because I totally forgot Oklahoma state's also not replacing any player on the two deep in their, in their front seven.
0: Right. Yeah. We, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs)
1: It's a recipe for success, Matt. That's all I'm Boy, saying.
0: It scares me. I'm I'll, I'll be honest with you. The Oklahoma fan of me just shuddered a little bit, but whatever. Um okay, so that's it. No more podcasting for us for this week. Sorry about that. But shameless plug. I've teamed up with the Thunder guys. If you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, uh, look up, go to our our website, heartland-sports.com, or you can go to YouTube, Heartland Sports on YouTube. We've got a brand-new podcast there called Thunder Nation, um, and we're going to run through the final of uh, the season with Oklahoma City Thunder. If you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, make sure to check that out. Again, we'd always love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Have a fantastic week and into the weekend. Boomer Sooner, everybody.